Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. The chair will put Mr. Speaker. The bill is passed. We've created a commitment to America. Those in favor say aye. There are just over 100 days until government funding runs out. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control, a podcast where we look around the corner at the challenges and priorities facing the 2023 Congress. I'm one of your hosts, Annalise Keller. And I'm your other host, Brendan Buck. Uh, nature is healing. The inter-party warfare has returned to the House Republican Conference. Uh, since we last spoke, Congress did act to avo uh, avoid a default, which is great. Uh, the deal passed with a majority of House Republicans voting for it. Uh, Annalise would like me to give her credit that she was closest to the number of Republican votes they got. That's as much as I will do that there. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, but of course, that, yeah, that was a, a win for McCarthy, and I think he got a lot of uh, attaboys for, for how, he, how he handled that. But things are seemingly right back to where they always are uh, for House Republicans with some drama with the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, and we're going to get into all of that, what it means going forward. The goal today is to look back a little bit at the, the debt limit, um, but more than anything, look ahead to the aftermath, the, the political reverberations, but also what it means for what Congress is going to be doing the rest of the year, uh, mainly uh, how the appropriations process, uh, government funding is, is going to play out. And we have the perfect guests for that to discuss both of those things. Uh, a little later, we will be joined by Will Dunham. Uh, will is policy director at Brownstein, but more relevant to us, he served as Kevin McCarthy's top policy director for seven years, uh, someone I worked closely with, uh, and he negotiated a lot of these budget measures uh, in the past. Really smart guy, obviously knows Kevin McCarthy really well, so we'll, uh, we'll dig into uh, all of these topics with him a little later. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of McCarthy, I think both of us have done our fair share of um, doubting of him. So I think just worth mentioning as well that, you know, we do owe him some credit for being able to get this done. Um, and I think, you know, as Brendan alluded to that we'll talk about later in the podcast, you know, we were all pretty skeptical that the House Freedom Caucus was going to stay in line. And I think some of that is is kind of coming up now and, and we'll get into that. But one other thing that I just kind of find interesting about the sort of cult of personality around speakers. Um, <laughs> I'm offended by that. What does that even mean? <laughs> well, I think it means to me that, you know, speakers typically are cast, uh, even if sort of like irrespective of their policy, uh, you know, principles, as soon as members move into the role of leadership, um, they kind of become an easy target. They become an easy target for conservatives to cast contrast uh, against and say, you know, this is the establishment, uh, Washington swamp creature that, you know, I'm fighting against. It's just kind of like an easy foil. Um, and I think it's been interesting. I guess I'll, it's been interesting to see McCarthy maintain like national support of Republicans uh, and his favorability is still positive. And again, like there's still lots of time for that to change. And I think it probably will change. But to me, it's interesting that, you know, he's been able to not only unify the conference around him, not really for any like 
policy goals just sort of to be seen as this personality that's fighting to keep the Republicans together and to get things done. Um, I just think that, you know, thinking of your old boss, Boehner, is kind of an example of someone who kind of immediately got the ire of um, some of the, you know, more conservative members, as they'd call themselves. Yeah, I mean, that was certainly true for Kevin. I mean, I think Kevin has certainly rallied the conference to himself pre debt limit. And so now, obviously, the question is, where are we after the debt limit? And so we took last week off to let the dust settle a little bit on the debt limit and, and kind of see where things shook out. And um, good thing we did, because, uh, you know, I think in the early aftermath of the debt limit, everything seemed really positive uh, for McCarthy. You know, there was the natural griping. Um, but it, last week was uh, a pretty big moment, I, I think. Um, the House, a handful of, of House Freedom Caucus members um, through what I will call a temper tantrum, but it may have some pretty meaningful um, uh, consequences later. So they, they, they voted down a rule, which does not happen often. Um, for folks unfamiliar with House, House procedure, to bring up most substantive bills, you have to pass what we call a rule, which sets the terms of debate. Um, those are almost always passed on uh, by the majority, the majority vote, you know, you, you run the house, you pass the rules. Um, and it, it is the thing that you just really don't do is if you're in the majority vote against rules, even if you're against the legislation, you don't vote down a rule because you are just empowering, uh, the minority, you are ceding the control of the floor. It had not happened in 20 years. So, you know, it was over a relatively, low stakes bill. It was you know, gas stoves and things like that don't really matter. But just the fact that they, they took down a rule, um, shut down the house, like couldn't do anything because they were unwilling to let uh, the process play out um, was really notable. And to me, it was a bunch of folks who felt uh, neglected in the final debt limit deal um, made to feel irrelevant, and they don't like feeling irrelevant. So this was them striking back, saying, hey, look at us, look at us, look at us. And I didn't think it was necessarily that big of a deal when it was just that, but the way that they ended up resolving that impasse, you know, which they've now since figured out how to move ahead, but some of the things that I think um, were, were given away in that process, namely what they're going to do on appropriations um, feels like is a big deal and and worth us digging into. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that, you know, there are some folks here that feel like they're not, you know, they weren't listened to. They feel like they didn't, you know, sort of get their flowers um, during the debt limit process. But I would just say that there is a portion of those folks that voted against the rule that voted against McCarthy's initially negotiated Republican debt limit deal passage, which I think just kind of underscores the just sort of, you know, what, what at the end of the day, like what is going to satisfy this group of people? Nothing. And I think it, it kind of reminded me a bit of the of the negotiations for Kevin McCarthy's speakership, where he was almost like negotiating against himself because none of these individuals were really agreeing to anything because, you know, maybe there's some private things that they're asking for, like committee slots that, you know, I'm not privy to. Um, That could certainly be happening. But at least in the public, it just appears that, um, you know, maybe that's why you called it a temper tantrum, because there's nothing really tangible that 
um, you know, is, is being negotiated after. So, I mean, I, I, I think I probably expressed a lot here, uh, my frustration with the Freedom Caucus in, in general. I, I'm just struck, and I, and I want to talk to Will about this a little later. Um, this all feels so familiar because it almost doesn't matter what you do. This is where you end up when you are a speaker of the Republican conference. I mean, Kevin McCarthy went in a completely different direction than uh, his two predecessors as it relates to dealing with these folks, Freedom Caucus and, you know, those types. I mean, Boehner, Boehner largely just didn't have time for these people, like just, you know, wasn't going to put up with it, you know, figured out ways to just kind of operate without them. Paul Ryan was maybe a little bit more in the middle. Um, you know, he brought these folks in for regular meetings, kept them close to kind of keep an eye on him, but he understood that they're not his allies, that they are working against him. And, you know, he he was very clear-eyed about, about that. McCarthy has gone all the way over to the other side and brought them completely into the fold, tried to make allies of them, given them you know what they want, given them gavels, given them access, you know, slots on the rules committee, slots on the rules. I mean, you name it. Um, just said, I'm not going to be a problem. I'm not going to have a problem with the Freedom Caucus. And yet, here we are after the first big thing that they do. You got people again threatening his job and you know making making demands about the future. So. Like what? What is it we're talking about that they demanded? <clears throat> Basically, they they've demanded and and I and gotten that the house is not going to abide by the spirit of the debt limit deal. Um, the debt limit deal was supposed to set up the ability to do a regular order appropriations process. The debt limit deal included, most notably, these budget caps, which basically set the level of spending for the next couple of years. That is really helpful to have. Instead of the Senate doing one thing and the House doing something else, there was an agreement. This is how much we're going to spend, and now we can go through a regular process to write the 12 different appropriations bills and hopefully get those done in, in, in normal order, which is you know good governance where you have a lot of good oversight instead of doing one of these massive 12 bills all at once omnibus bills at the end of the year. Um, the Freedom Caucus apparently has gotten the, um, an agreement to ignore the debt limit deal and have the House pass what it's long wanted to do, which is just cutting spending back to the FY 2022 levels which Senate is never going to do, which basically means you're doing partisan bills all the way through. I'll be surprised if they can pass, you know, more than a handful of them through the House. But bottom line is appropriations process is going to break down again. The debt limit deal was supposed to be the opportunity to wipe the slate clean, work together, do good government, get bills passed. Forget it. Not going to happen now. Um, and that is setting up surely an omnibus at the end of the year or a CR or maybe even a shutdown. Um, but more than anything, it's just setting up pretext for these guys to criticize him when you ultimately can't get 12 appropriations bills done. They said that's what they want. They said they want to do regular order appropriating, but then now they have made this demand to abandon the deal, which guarantees that's not going to happen. They're going to criticize Kevin later, but it is of their own making. Okay, I have a few points on that. Sorry, I'm ranting a little. So I think, well, I think one thing to just kind of point out is, I agree with you. I think setting the levels of 2022 is is obviously setting up a very difficult, treacherous road ahead, right, for McCarthy. I think 
that's going to be a challenge. They're going to have to conference those things out. But I, I do think that oftentimes the House and Senate negotiate at, at different levels for these bills. Um, so, I mean, it's not like unheard of that they would come at this with sort of different spending levels. Now, this is obviously creating a lot of strife given that they, you know, agreed to these levels and passed a budget deal. Um, and then you have, you know, sort of McCarthy's and Granger's camp sort of saying, well, that's just a ceiling. You know, I can understand that's that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers and make this process really difficult. And I think you've seen some of that play out at the committee level. Um, you know, they've marked up some of these bills at the subcommittee level already. So they're having to kind of offer amendments at the full committee. They're having to kind of re, you know, work some of this stuff. Uh, according to the new numbers, you know, I've heard from staff, they're like sort of struggling as to where to find some of these new cuts that are being requested. I mean, you know, it, it sounds maybe like it's a little bit easier said than done. So, you know, I think they'll muddle through that. I'm, I could still see some of these members not supporting some of these appropriation bills when they, you know, finally come to the floor, depending on how they sort of shape up. So, I mean, I just think, you know, not for nothing, this could all happen and they can still sort of say, no, not enough. Yeah. Well, no doubt there have been lots of precedent where the house and the Senate go in different directions um, on how to handle appropriations. My point is that, almost never results in any of these bills becoming law. The House can do its own appropriations all day long, and you know we've, had, we've struggled to even do them on our own um, for various reasons. But I guess what I'm saying is this approach we have seen before over and over and over again, and the end result is an omnibus. And that was the big thing that they all railed against last year was, oh my gosh, w- you know, if we take back the House, we're never doing an omnibus, and Kevin McCarthy even said that. So... Um, look, they are going to, it just feels like they are, they are, they are, I don't know if it's setting a trap because it's not even a trap. It's so obvious. (laughs) They are setting up a scenario in which the outcome is going to be something they criticize him for, but they are the ones almost guaranteeing that is the outcome. They'll, they'll, they'll never admit it's their, you know, that they've, they've set up the failure to get appropriations bills done, but that's what they are doing right here. And so I'm just a little, more than a little frustrated and nervous for McCarthy that, you know, we're walking into a situation where, you know, if, if it's not an omnibus, it's a, like, there's only, you know, there's three ways to fund the government. You do your regular order appropriations, 12 bills. I don't think that's going to happen. You do a continuing resolution, and maybe that's something that, you know, they're just banking on. Um, or you do an omnibus. There are no other options. Uh, and uh, so a CR Minibus. is... Minibuses, sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, but like, this is very much heading to either a CR or an omnibus. And those are things that, you know, you, CRs are, is bad governance and omnibus is something they said they would never do. And you can't do a CR forever. So if, so if this all falls apart, they do a short term CR and then we have to sort of stomach an omnibus, I guess let's do a little fortune telling. Like, what do you think, you know, if McCarthy is, is sort of faced with that, you think he picks he's forced into a corner of a shutdown over bringing up an omnibus or he brings up an omnibus and faces a, a true revolt. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think he would be facing an open revolt if he um, does an omnibus, maybe not open revolt, but enough of these folks who could become problematic for him, which is why I'm so frustrated by this because they're right. the ones guaranteeing it. Um, yeah. I mean, Maybe I'm, I'm misquoting him here, but I'm pretty sure he said he would never do an omnibus uh, again after after last year. Um, I, my sense is that 
they would have to just sort of default to a CR, maybe a year-long CR. Um, continuing resolution, the debt limit deal said that a CR yeah. would be at 1% lower. So some, maybe some of those guys just see that as a win and that like this is all bad faith to avoid any appropriating because they prefer a 1% cut over um, whatever the Senate wh- would give whatever them. the Senate would give them. But oof, that's a tough thing to do a year long CR. Um, the the what what that means for um, every government program, but but defense in particular, there's going to be a lot of consternation about doing a one percent cut to to DoD. A lot of people not going to like that. So, and it's not like at the end of a year we just default to a CR. You have to affirmatively pass a CR. Um, and so coming up with, you know, you can always do a few months, but if you're talking about like a year long CR to fund the government, you're going to need to get people to vote for that. And I, I can't imagine that it's a lot of those popular. defense hawks are going to be comfortable just saying, all right, yeah, we're going to cut DOD by, by 1%. They were already upset about the level of spending for DOD here in the first place. Right. Well, something, I guess let's, let's go to the scenario where we do have a shutdown. Um, you know, the unfortunate scenario. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of the previous shutdowns tend to kind of center around an issue. They tend to kind of be. Um, yeah, I mean, shut, shutdown comes up a lot as like one of the scenarios. And I guess that's possible. But I guess I just don't know, like, what is that thing that the shutdown I, my, shutdown is about? I mean, shutdowns are usually like an affirmative decision. Like in 2013, we shut down the government because we wanted to defund Obamacare. In 2018, there was a shutdown over the wall you have if you're going to go into a shutdown you got to be pretty determined to fight it and you have to be pretty willing to like make the argument about why you're doing it so i guess i i hear the shutdown stuff but i guess my question is what is the shutdown about yeah no i think that's interesting i mean i think you know republicans have found success arguing for fiscal stability and they kind of were able to make that argument resonate with the american public through the debt limit negotiation but i think that will be a tough one to continue making. It just feels very generic and broad. Um, yeah. To yeah, say, maybe that's you know, it. We're we're fighting for lower spending, so we're shutting down the government. Maybe maybe, maybe that's 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 all it is. But um, it's really tough for McCarthy to to kind of go into war fighting over that because. <laughs> We just had that negotiation. I mean, that was what the whole negotiation was about, how much we're going to spend um, over the next couple of years in the debt limit deal. Like, I don't know how McCarthy ever goes back to Democrats and tries to negotiate now if he turns around and says, OK, well, you signed that deal with me. That was just phase one. Now we're in phase two of this negotiation and we're actually going to have to go right. below that this time. They're going to be like, are you kidding me? I can't. Yeah, they're already you. saying that, right? Um, so maybe that's what it's about. It could certainly be about you know, you, you can make it shut down about anything you want. I'm sure Marjorie Taylor Greene would love to have a shutdown over the F, defunding the FBI and defunding DOJ. Don't really know if that's the, the hill you want to die on. Um, so I'm not saying there won't be a shutdown. There probably will be at some point. You know, this is going to get really stupid before it gets resolved. Um, it's just, uh, you know, none, none of these options are, are good. And I, I worry about the, how they end up for, for McCarthy. Yeah, I think it will certainly be in Democrats' interest to make a potential shutdown about FBI, DOJ defunding. And, you know, I'm sure there's just like lots of fodder there. And the timing will be particularly unhelpful for everyone. 
Well, maybe we should uh, bring in an actual expert uh, on these things at this point. Uh, at this point, we will bring in our guest, Will Dunham, to talk through some of these challenges, uh, talk through what is facing uh, Kevin McCarthy on the road ahead. Uh, and so we'll be right back with Will Dunham. Let's bring on our guest for today, Will Dunham. He's currently a policy director at Brownstein, and he also served as Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy's top policy director for seven years. Uh, he, there, he managed some really challenging negotiations under both uh, majority and minority. Uh, and during his more than 13 years in Congress, he also served as the executive director to now House Majority Leader Steve Scalise at the Republican Study Committee. Uh, super excited to have Will with us. Will, thank you for joining. Um, Will has been away from McCarthy World for a little bit now. Um, and I will say that uh, when he left McCarthy's office, I guess that was last year, I sent him a note and was like, what the hell are you doing? You're the person who's going to make sure we don't default. Um, we, we avoided default, so I'm, I'm glad about that. But um, Will is one of those people who um, one of the smartest folks I, I worked with when I was on the Hill um, both uh, gets the policy in a really detailed way, but is one of the few, I would say, policy people who understand the politics really well. Um, so so thrilled to, to have you here. Welcome, uh, welcome to Control, Will. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Um, so we, we've talked a lot on this podcast uh, about the debt limit and Kevin McCarthy and all of the ups and downs that you know the House brings. Um, I want to just kind of start off looking back a little bit about that whole saga, and, and then we can do a little looking down the road. Um, but before even doing that, I just wonder if you know if you could, as someone who worked for Kevin McCarthy for a really long time, um, how what do people not understand, or what should they understand about Kevin McCarthy that sort of motivates him and drives him? And you know, what's if, if you're if you want to make people better understand Kevin, what what would you say? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would I would say two things about him. Uh, number one, he's a he's a gritty human being. He he's a grinder. He never quits. And I think uh, you know, seeing him go through fifteen ballots on the floor really put that on display for the whole country. Obviously, uh, it, it would have been great to get that done in one ballot, but I think the silver lining of, of how long that took and how public that effort was really gave the country a window into his temperament. And uh, he, he's he's a guy who keeps his eye on the prize and, you know, whatever slings and arrows come, um, he, he, he pushes through and, and you know, that goes all the way back to 2015 with his first speaker run. Um, he spent the next eight years meticulously planning and and doing a lot of um, unglamorous work, shall we say, uh, traveling the country, recruiting candidates, raising money. Um, that that a lot of a lot of time away from home, a lot of time away from his family. Um, on the road doing the things that 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 maybe don't uh, don't show up in in uh, in 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 bold letters uh, uh, top of the fold, um, but that are absolutely necessary to get those big headlines. McCarthy elected speaker, all all of that played into it. So that's the first thing. He, he's 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 a grinder. Um, 
Second thing is he's he's the most extroverted person I've ever met, um, which makes him really well suited to this moment. You know, Brendan, you worked with him, you know this, and you've probably heard uh, his good friend Patrick McHenry quip that if Speaker Kevin McCarthy is in a room by himself, does he really exist? Um, he he thrives on being with other people, talking to them, interacting with them, and as it turns out, with a tiny majority. Um, that's absolutely an essential trait um, to be talking to the members constantly, nonstop building consensus. Yeah, I think in one of our first podcasts, kind of like looking ahead at what a Speaker McCarthy would be like, we had sort of identified that the job of Speaker, as much as anything, is like solving interpersonal conflict and managing people. Um, and he actually thrives uh, at that kind of stuff. So that's helpful and, and, and super insightful. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Brendan and I obviously have been following sort of through his speaker race, through the debt limit deal. And I think throughout that have had, um, I don't know, I would say like a healthy level of skepticism at his ability, n not necessarily, you know, his, his ability personally, but just the circumstances that he's in with the, you know, very tight uh, majority and his ability to really get some of these things done. And I think we've both been proven wrong um, on a handful of times, uh, you know, but I'm just curious from your perspective and, and having worked for McCarthy for so long, just how do you like, just kind of what's your overall assessment of how he handled the debt limit process? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I'm with you guys in, in, in that I have been very impressed at, at how they nav navigated McCarthy and his, and his whole team navigated a, a really high degree of difficulty scenario. I mean, I think, I think there, there, there were a lot of folks that thought a successful outcome was not possible uh, in terms of the negotiation, that, that, that default really was on the table um, and 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 that uh, the the debt limit presented either a existential threat to the full faith and credit of the United States or an existential threat to Kevin McCarthy's speakership and and you know here we are um, with with the debt limit in the rearview mirror um, Speaker McCarthy obviously uh, still working with his members on on a way forward on the approach process um, but but I I think he exceeded everyone's expectations. Um, outside of a small group of people that that you know helped him through, and I mentioned McHenry, um, Garrett Graves was another one of those uh, that that really came alongside the speaker and and helped the whole leadership team, Scalise, Emmer, Stefanik, um, talk through the way forward on the debt limit with the members, and and I, I think that's why it worked. Uh, they they were able to unify um, their conference, um, but. But to do that, it required literally hundreds of hours of conversations with members, um, and and that's how they passed the bill. That's how they got the president to the negotiating table, um, and it's how they ultimately got a deal that that um, a big majority of the majority supported on the Republican side. And you know they hit their number. They were aiming for 150. I think they were at 149. Ultimately, um, that that's that's pretty incredible. But you know, I get I give credit to the speaker and and the team he assembled and the team that the conference elected, spending a lot of time with rank and file members, hearing from them and 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 crafting a strategy based on those conversations. Well, it's interesting because, in a way, the outcome of the deal or, or you know where the sort of deal landed was sort of where Kevin started 
the whole process. I mean, very early on, he was talking about wanting a cap steal. Um, and I think you and I may have even talked about like that sounds very reasonable. I, I wonder how much the conference is going to be excited about that. But um, I guess how much insight do you have into whether like how far back did this plan go? I mean, how long, how much time did they put into it? Like, was this always the plan of how to approach it? I, I, I joked with Will when he left McCarthy's office, like, did you leave a plan for the debt limit in a drawer for somebody? Cause I'm not quite sure how we're going to resolve this. Um, like how far back did the planning go for this? And, you know, was this like executed exactly how they wanted? Um, or was there more sort of, uh, kind of winging it as they went along? Yeah, well, I mean, to that point about leaving a plan in the drawer, I, I think, you know, in some ways, uh, in 2011, the blueprint was drafted for what happened this year. Um, in 2011, the House passed cut cap and balance, a Republican only debt limit increase. Um, and that led to negotiations that ultimately uh, resulted in, in the BCA, which was 10 years of caps, uh, significant fiscal savings and reforms, um, you know, a lot of similarities uh, this year to, to, to that episode in 2011. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it, the, the plan, the planning for the debt limit started last year, um, even before the election, um, you, you know, then Minority Leader McCarthy already had this circled as as one of the biggest challenges slash opportunities in the, in the next Congress. And obviously, um, you know, they took care of business, took the majority, not as big as a majority as they expected, which which I think did change the calculus a little, but not much. I mean, it just it it does mean you have less margin to pass that first pass majority majority carried bill. Um, and I think the, the thin margin made some of us, uh, me and Brendan, uh, you know, included a little skeptical that that um, it was possible to pass a Republican only debt limit increase. Um, they got it done again through hundreds of hours, member conversations. Um, and and, you know, they were able to carry through a lot of the themes that were in that majority passed first pass bill in, in the same way that that Speaker Boehner was able to do with the BCA looking back at cut cap and balance. I mean, that, that you, you, it's, it's a mark of a good leader to take um, perfect uh, or, or, or the best a party can do and then go into negotiations and come out on the other side um, with, with all, all of their major themes intact. And I think you saw um, Speaker McCarthy do that, permitting reform, work requirements, caps, um, even curtailing uh, the student loan pause uh, that's been in place since the pandemic, um, uh, you know, I think I think he was able to check every one of those big boxes. Um, again, not 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 in the way that the majority in the House, one one half or one third of government, would have done it if left to their own devices. But uh, that that that's not what the voters gave us. That's not the hand voters dealt uh, Republicans, and so. Um, it's pretty remarkable that they were able to, to, to maintain as much as they did through that bipartisan negotiation. Yeah, I mean, and I think McCarthy, we've talked earlier about how he was successful in driving the narrative around the negotiations as well, which I think really, um, you know, was helpful. Uh, but so 
you know, all of that's wonderful and positive. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but now, now let's look at what we um, You know, he did expend a fair amount of his political capital, you know, to get this thing across the finish line, uh, you know, and, and did a great job. I think we're seeing some of the, you know, Freedom Caucus blowback that we were maybe expecting to be a little bit more pronounced during the debt limit negotiations that, you know, there were rumblings, but for the most part, you know, that was all kind of kept kept under the surface. Um, now we're seeing some kind of Freedom Caucus tactics that we've seen previously, you know, quietly blowing up rule votes, things like that. Um, obviously, this is, you know, a group that, um, you know, will maybe never be happy. But I mean, what do you like? Should should McCarthy be trusting the Freedom Caucus? Should he be working with them, continuing to keep them in the fold? Or at what point do you just sort of say, you know, you 11 people, you know, are, are kind of never going to stop moving the goalposts on me. Yeah, well, I mean, with a with a four vote margin, um, you, you really mathematically can't write off 11 people. And, and that's that's one of the actually, I think, good things about a small majority is that um, it really the responsibility for the functioning of the majority lies with the members and 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 it lies with the various factions of members and any one faction um or, or rump group can can bring the entire uh majority agenda to a screeching halt and uh you know that that means that that sure speaker mccarthy is going to spend a lot of time talking to freedom caucus members um but it also means that the Freedom Caucus members are going to spend a lot of time talking to problem solvers and and governance group members and Republican Study Committee members and and you know on some level um, in the past with bigger majorities uh, Republican leaders have taken a lot of the arrows directly from various factions um, with a with a margin this small um, the factions have to talk to each other. Uh, and 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 I think you're seeing that play out somewhat that, that the leaders obviously are talking to the Freedom Caucus and, and all the various five families, as they call it. Um, but but uh, but ultimately, the pressure to move forward will come um, from the rank and file to the rank and file. And, and I think that that's why they'll ultimately get things back on track. And frankly, you know, things were only off track for a couple of days, actually, um, the Freedom Caucus took down a rule um, after a couple of days of conversation, um, some reprisals uh, from from moderate members of the Freedom Caucus and vice versa. The, the House floor is back on track and they're passing bills again. So well, I guess I would push back on that a little bit. Yes, they are back to, you know, doing the, the regular business that they were going to do. But I guess I would argue we're way off track now because the thing that really you know the debt limit was i think the biggest thing this congress but the next biggest thing is is funding the government and um that dust up has led it seems directly to uh appropriators now marking bills at a spending level lower than what this just signed debt limit deal is and i understand the technical reason you can do that it's a ceiling and not a level and i i get that um but it seems pretty sh clear at this point that appropriations is not going to happen in the sort of uh, regular order way that everybody said they wanted to do, leading us to either uh, a CR or an Omni, which Kevin said he would never do, um, 
or a shutdown. Um, so I, I guess let's kind of like this is this is where we're at right now. I mean, the big the big takeaway from that week was we're at least in the house abandoning the debt limit levels. How do you how do you square that with the goal of having a regular appropriations process signing twelve bills into law? Yeah, I mean, I, ideally, I agree with you. Uh, the the cap levels um, that were set in the debt limit deal um, would would be uh, broadly accepted and adhered to by all four corners in the House and Senate on a bipartisan, bicameral basis. Um, but I, I think if you go back uh, a, a week to the Senate passage of the debt deal, um, there was bipartisan agreement in the Senate. Um, and the leaders made made statements to this effect that the caps were too low on the defense side and the non-defense side. And uh, the U.S. Senate was going to process the bill and send it to the president, but on the condition that they would be finding ways around the caps on both non-defense and defense spending. Um, and, and that was made pretty explicit uh, in, in the discussion of, of supplementals by by uh, Leader Schumer. So, you know, the the, the debt limit deal avoided default but it, but you're absolutely right it did not settle the big outstanding fights on 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 the appropriations process including the top line number and, and you know there's a bipartisan interest in the senate to break the caps via a supplemental there is partisan interest in the house to treat the caps as a ceiling not a floor um and and so there 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 are months and months of i think pretty fraught approach negotiations ahead of us given given those dynamics and yeah, the debt limit deal did not settle the, the those disagreements. And, 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 and if anything, it, 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 it may have exacerbated some of them, it, it, um, you know, but I think the house, what the house will do is what the house has done in the past, both under Democrats and Republicans, the, the first pass of appropriate bills will be partisan. Um, the, those bills will be at spending levels that the majority prefers um and and uh with policy that the majority prefers and i do not expect a lot of democrat votes uh, in the house for those appropriate bills on the first pass on any of them um and and that was true for democrats and republican majorities in the past so i, I don't i don't think that's too far outside the historical norms um but that's not to say that there aren't, aren't deep disagreements that that could derail the process um in September or, or, or December, uh, you know, shutdowns a real possibility. Yeah. But the historical norms also end up in omnibuses at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, do you think Kevin should have waited them out a little bit longer? And, you know, was it a mistake, I guess, at this point to go ahead and go to the 2022 levels? It, it, you know, no, I, I, I think you do what you need to do in the majority in the House to pass appropriate bills and get and get a mark laid down and and it's actually exactly what house republicans did um a little over a decade ago after the bca uh we we passed bills that were under the the legally prescribed caps um and and you know i i think i think if you look at what the senate wants to do on 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 supplementals it it's actually a logical reaction on the part of the House, you know, the, the Senate's controlled by Democrats, the House is controlled by Republicans. The, the Senate is saying they want to go above the caps and Republicans in the House are saying, let's stay under. Um, I, I, both sides are kind of doing what you would expect them to do, um, uh, you know, given given the, the, the pressures leaders face in both chambers. 
I mean, I, I, I think you appreciate that. I mean, we all appreciate where, where this seems to be headed, but, uh, which I think is, you know, no, no appropriations being signed into law in, in sort of regular order. Um, Kevin has said they won't do an omnibus again. Like what, what then? I mean, what, what options does he have? I mean, I, I get, you know, this is where members were. Um, but like, there was a way to just go ahead and kind of continue, maybe not politically, but like there was a way to go ahead and do, um, appropriations based off that same coalition that did the debt limit, you know, work together in a bipartisan way at these, at these spending levels that were set. Um, if, if they don't get any bills done and the, like, and, you know, let's say we're not willing to, to shut down, is he good? Is he, what options does he have other than to do an omnibus? Well, you know, traditionally in September, Congress does a CR to December. And I think right. uh, you can kind of see the coalition that, that could support that conservatives look at that in the house and go well under a cr we get a one percent cut next year if we're still under a cr i don't hate the idea of that i can support a cr for some limited period of time defense hawks uh, on the right and the left hate crs it's bad for dod it's 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 terrible for for national defense um but traditionally they're willing to go along with it for for some period of time to to build in space for negotiations and you know in, in the recent past that's that's been from september to december um so you can see that coalition coming together around a cr in september i think december is really when um the chickens come home to roost and and that question that you're posing do they move forward with an omnibus do they pass a year-long cr which which would be very very difficult um or or does the process grind to a halt and we have a shutdown um i i, I it's it's unclear to me at this point how that resolves, uh, but but obviously, obviously there's a real risk of, of a complete breakdown, not just of regular order, um, but but of the ability of Congress to fund the government. Yeah, none of those are good options. <laughs> um, no, no. Uh, and I guess, look, I mean, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, it all feels so familiar. And you said, you know, there's lots of precedent for this, but I mean, I, I guess I'm just sort of struck that uh, Kevin went in a way different direction than his two predecessors did in terms of like managing some of these more conservative, if you will, members. And it feels like he's ended up in the exact same spot where they're, you know, they're nipping at him. They're demanding things that are unrealistic and he's going to have to make a decision at some point um, to just kind of ignore them and, and hope that they don't come after him. I mean, um, what is the sort of optimistic case that we get through appropriations and he doesn't have these guys threatening him again? I mean, it's just, it, I, I credit him for managing all of this really well. And yet it still feels like this is just how it has to be if you're a Republican speaker. Well, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier this is a high degree of difficulty scenario for Speaker McCarthy. And I think if you look back at what the Freedom Caucus has said um, in, 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 for a long time, is that nothing that that is making law on the approach process or a debt limit should come to the floor without a majority of the majority. That's a good objective metric. And obviously that was met with the debt limit deal. And there was still a lot of consternation. Um, but but I think as as a leader, that is what you shoot for. 
Um, you, you shoot for a big majority of the majority on lawmaking exercises and, and that's your goal. And so, you know, looking forward to September or December, um, I think it's, it's unrealistic and, and, you know, you, as, as a whip, uh, Emmer will be looking for 218 Republican votes on, uh, in September and December for sure. Is it realistic that they'll get 218 votes for a lawmaking exercise in September or December? Probably not. It'll probably be short of that. And so at that point, you look at the, the best metric you have, a majority of the majority. That's that's something the Freedom Caucus has talked about. Leadership shoots for it, too. And then you hope that the no's are uh, um, disappointed no's and not irate no's. And, and, and so you work back from that. I think that's how this leadership team approaches the debt limit, it's how they'll approach funding the government as well. Um, and so and so you'll see uh, a wide open amendment process. You'll see a lot of conservative policy moving through the approach process in the House. Um, and you'll see the negotiators do everything they can to, uh, to, to preserve those policies through uh, to the ultimate bipartisan deal that, that, that becomes law. And so, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's fraught. It's a high degree of difficulty, but it's but it's um, but it's possible for le for leaders to 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 kind of shoot for that majority of the majority and 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 find ways to get there. And you know they'll they'll need to be creative. But but they just did this, um, and and so I, I have a high degree of confidence uh, in this team that they'll be able to do it again. Yeah. It's messy. That's for sure. Lots of variables. I think we'll maybe hold some of our predictions until we get down the road a little further. Uh, well, Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're really grateful for all the insight you shared about this process and all the challenges facing McCarthy. Uh, and thanks to everyone who's been listening to Control. Uh, now that the debt limit is behind us, we're going to take a bit of a break, uh, but maybe we will be back uh, uh, around the uh, potential looming shutdown. When drama comes back, we'll come back. And I'm certain there will be some more drama later <laughs> in the year. That's right. Count on it. Count on it. Thanks for having me on. Control is a production of Seven Letter, a leading strategic communications firm in Washington, D.C. and Boston, with deep experience in bipartisan public affairs, public relations, crisis management, digital strategy, and corporate engagement. Special thanks to our producer, Benji Englander. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us next week for another episode, and don't forget to rate and review us. Thank you for listening.